Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We're going to dive into this final part in our message series. Uh, For weeks we've looked back, but today we're going to look forward at what's to come. And if you're taking notes today, please write this down because here's my title. The title of my message is The Best. Everybody say the best. The best is yet to come. Uh, C.S. Lewis once said that, he said, "I, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen. He says, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. Does that make sense? So in other words, Lewis is saying, Christianity helps me see the world the way God wants me to see the world. I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun, the S-U-N, has risen. But because by the S-O-N, by Jesus, by a biblical worldview, I see everything else. And here's my big driving thought as we begin. That the Bible helps to make best sense of the world that we live in. I know it was written a long time ago, uh, ago, but the Bible tells us where we came from. But here's what I want to show you today. The Bible tells us where we're going. And I promise you, the best is yet to come. And I want you to hear that today, to believe that today, no matter where you are in your life today. The best is yet to come. And the Bible provides the lens through which we see our future in Jesus. And so here's what we're going to do uh, together. We're going to begin in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. We're going to start there. We're going to be kind and rewind. Were, were y'all with me? Yeah, y'all, did Pastor David talk about that? The be kind, rewind, blockbuster tape. Y'all remember that VHS? Okay. We're going to be kind and rewind for just a few minutes. And then we're going to fast forward. How many of y'all are thankful? Let's just give Jesus praise that we no longer have to deal with VHS tapes. <laughs> I just thought of that. I don't, we're going to fast forward to the end, and we're going to look at, really, the end is the beginning uh, for us in many ways. But let me recap for just a few minutes here. Uh, if you remember from the first message, we learned that God created the world, and it wasn't just good, it was what? He saw that it was tov meod. It was very good, which means exceedingly good. And so God created and he looked back and he saw, he's like, hmm, very, very good. Exceedingly good. We saw that week one, that the world was not created with sin. It was created to be, and it was in every respect, very good. And so we saw week one, we saw what was right. We saw what was right. But then in the second message, we learned what went Wrong. If y'all remember that from that particular message, Genesis 3, all the details there, we learned that uh, Adam and Eve ate from the forbidden fruit. Chapters 1 and 2, everything's good, very good. And then chapter 3, Adam rebelled, and all of a sudden things became, at least in his life, very what? <laughs> there were some bad consequences that were, were brought up about in his life. And some of those consequences were a bit delayed, but nonetheless, now they're a part of the world that Adam and Eve lived in. And here's the great irony of of the Garden of Eden, uh, is that the Garden of Eden was the first place where God walked with man. But the Garden of Eden is also the place where, the first place where man walked away from God. And so the Garden of Eden, I want you to, when you hear those words, Garden of Eden, think paradise. It was a perfect environment. And God walked 
with this couple. But it was there where this first couple walked away from God. And we've learned in, in weeks past that when Adam sinned, when he, when he ate of the forbidden fruit, that there were major consequences both for Adam and Eve and by extension for the entire human race. As a matter of fact, today Paul says that sin entered the world through one man, in reference to Adam, and death through sin. And to this very day, sin, death, and destruction are, are, are the norm in this world that we live in. Those things, unfortunately, are the norm. And, and Paul traces it back all the way to Adam into his disobedience. Think about that for just a second. We are in the mess that we're in today because of one act of disobedience in the garden. We are suffering the consequences right now because of Adam. But then how many of y'all know we're born in Adam? We are Adam's family. We're naturally, we're in Adam. We're born in Adam. That means under, the, the, uh, under sin. We are born in sin. And then not only did Adam mess it up, but then we, because of our own sin, we contribute to the fallenness of this world. Does that make sense? So we can't just say it's all Adam. It's the Adam in us. It's the sin in us that contributes to the fallenness and the brokenness all around us. And so death and destruction, all of it's in the world today because the first Adam pulled away from God and went his own way. And some people are like, Pastor Scott, why do you, why do you preach about sin? Why do you take sin so seriously? What's the big deal? And my response is, I preach on sin and I call sin what it is because obviously sin is the major problem. It's the thing that Jesus had to leave heaven to come to earth to die for and to pay for our sin. So how many of y'all know God treats sin very, very seriously because it's cosmic treason to rebel against God. How many of y'all know he takes that very seriously? He takes it very, very seriously. And so that's why I take it very seriously, because it's the sin within me, the sin within you that contributes to the darkness and the fallenness all around us. And so that is why I preach on it. And as I've said over the over the course of time, you can't fully understand the good news of Jesus Christ until first, you know, the what? The bad news. You've got to know the bad news. You've got to know just how bad we are apart from Christ and His grace, how fallen we are to truly understand how good He is. But then how many of y'all know when you get born again, you become a new creation, you begin to do new things, you begin to look a lot more like Jesus, the second Adam. How many of y'all know He doesn't leave you in your sin, He transforms you so that you can become more like Him. That's the good news in, in this all, uh, in this whole story. But here's what I want you to see. There, there's a word I want you to write down. And I'm going to teach this for just a few minutes. And I want to, if you get this, this theme, it will open up the Bible for you. But I want you to write this down. You can, uh, I don't know if we can put it up on the screen. Y'all can take a shot, take a picture. The word is exile. Can y'all say that with me? Exile. Okay. Hold that word in your head as I read from Genesis chapter 3. Verses 21 through 24. Here's what the Lord said about Adam after his fall into sin. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Verse 23. Therefore the Lord God sent him out 
from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. Verse 24, say it with me. He drove out the man, and by extension Eve, she's involved in this. He drove out the man, actually the word there, it's, it's implying both. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Now that word I gave you, exile, okay, it basically means that, that Adam and Eve were sent out of paradise. How many of y'all have your favorite vacation spot you like to go to? Y'all need to go on vacation more. No one? Um, all right. You got your favorite spot. I promise, no matter where you go, doesn't matter what your, va- your favorite vacation spot is, I promise you it's nothing in comparison to the Garden of Eden, which was a perfect place. It was paradise. And what I want you to see is that Adam and Eve were exiled. They were sent out of this place, driven out of this place because of their sin. Everybody say exile. They were exiled. And the, the, the train of thought here is that God drove the man out to make sure that he could not uh, take, partake of the tree of life and live forever in his, Adam's present, in this point, his, his condition. It was, Adam, I'm driving you out. Lest you live forever in this state, I'm, I'm, I'm driving you out so you cannot partake of the, of the tree of life. And so we see that the first couple was exiled. They were sent out of paradise. I mean, think about that. Out of paradise. They were in the presence of God in Eden, but then they're driven out. And they were driven out into a world that was, well, because of their decision, fallen, broken, and in time would be full of all kinds of calamity. Fast forward. All the horrible things that ever took are all a part of that world that they created because of their disobedience. And as a matter of fact, the world that they were driven out into is the world that we inherited. It's the world we inherited. A fallen, broken, messed up world because of sin. Does that make sense? So they're driven out, exiled, okay? But even in this exile, I love the Bible because even, even though the Bible gives us hard words, even in the hard words, even in the difficult words, even in the words of judgment, there is still the promise of, uh, of salvation. And we see that in Genesis 3, even though this was the case, before they were cast out of the garden, I love this, God provided covering for Adam and Eve's nakedness with animal garments. We're told that the Lord God made for them garments of skin, notice the language, and He clothed them. Meaning that an animal had to die. Blood was shed so that they could be covered in their nakedness, covered in their shame. Now, this is the first place in the Bible that mentions something like this. It's implied that blood was shed, okay, so that they could be covered. And the Bible goes on to say, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for our sins, In other words, someone, something has to die in our place. Someone has to suffer the consequences of of our sin so that we can enter into the presence of God. And how many of y'all know the blood of bulls and goats, as you look through the Old Testament, the the Old Testament sacrificial system, none of that could truly atone for our sins. All that was just a picture. Everybody say picture. This this. 
clothing of them in the, in the, in the garden with garments and the Levitical system of the Old Testament. All of that was just to provide a picture for the need for redemption, for the need for blood to be shed, for the cost, the price to be paid so humankind who is exiled away from God could enter back into the presence of God. And bulls can't do that. The blood of goats can't do that. The only thing that can really do that is the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, who shed His blood for us. He died in our place to provide cleansing so we can re-enter the presence of God. Does that make sense? Like, this is great stuff. So by nature, we are born exiled. We are naughty by nature uh, because of Adam's sin. We, we, we are sinners by nature and by choice and hence exiled from the presence of God. But aren't you thankful that Jesus came from heaven to the earth? And as Paul says in Romans 3.25, God put forward Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood. And now we can reenter the presence of God and live there forever. Y'all, I'm working hard. That's good news right there. Are y'all with me? So write this word down. Atonement. Write it down. Take a picture. Atonement. What does that mean? Big word in church. What does it mean? Well, in a sense, you could say it means at one mint. We, because of Jesus, are now at one with God. We can now enter the presence of God cleansed. Man, how many times have you, you felt, after you sinned, you felt dirty? Someone said, I feel so dirty. And I'm like, because you are. <laughs> you know, if you sinned, if, you, if, you, if you've rebelled against God, you are. But the good news is Jesus' blood forgives you. His blood was shed for you. I don't care how, how deep the darkness, how pervasive the perversion and the porn, whatever you've done, if you come to Jesus, He cleanses you by His blood and He makes all things new and you've been exiled. You've been far away because of Jesus. You can come back in to His presence. Isn't that amazing? Everybody say exile. We've all been exiled because of our sin, but because of Jesus. Come on, y'all. We can return. Maybe you've been out of church for a long time. You've been away from God for a long time. Hey, come on back. You can because Jesus' blood qualifies you to come back. Man, isn't that great news? How many of y'all know if God gave us three chances and three chances only, we'd all be in big trouble? How many of y'all know if God said you can come and worship me and if you ever leave me, I'm going to leave you? Well, ultimately, if you do leave him and you're faithless, you're in trouble. But thank God when you resolve to return, you turn around no matter how far you've run away. You turn around. Come on, y'all. He's right there waiting to take you in. So it's not about how far you have to run back. It's just turning and returning to God through the sacrifice of Jesus. And he makes us whole again. Are y'all tracking? So, so, so check this out. At one, it means, it, it means basically that, well, we're, we're at, at one with God. There's no block. There's no barrier insofar as our relationship is concerned. We can come home to him. The way I've worded it is this way. Uh, Adam was driven away from the tree of life because he ate from the tree. But we can have eternal life because Jesus, the second Adam, died on a tree for us. And so his atoning death guarantees our eternal life. Do you see how it works with God? Do you see how it works with your Messiah? His death guarantees your eternal life. The first Adam ruined it. 
Jesus, the second Adam, came to, come on, y'all, redeem us. Redeem us. We are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Come on, church. Give him some praise. We're redeemed. Come on, thank him. We're redeemed. He brought us back. We've been brought back to God through Christ. And so we are saved from the penalty of sin. But we are ultimately saved for the presence of God. So people sit around, they're like, man, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. I'm a born-again Christian. I'm forgiven. Man, God's forgiven my past. I'm like, yes, thank God. But he not only saves you from something, come on, church, he saves you for something. It's to go and sin no more. Listen, if you're in Christ, then you're no longer in sin. Now, that doesn't mean you don't sin. You do. But you no longer live in it, correct? Because God has purchased you. He has brought you out of darkness into his light. And in his light, you have life, right? So we're no longer slaves to sin, but we're slaves to righteousness. We have a new life. And so if you're forgiven, praise God, you're forgiven. Thank God you're in Christ. But he not only saves you from the penalty of sin, he saves you for his presence and for his promises. And so I can say, we can say, bondage is broken. Sins are forgiven. Righteousness is given. And our relationship with God is restored. All because of Jesus shedding his blood for us. Are y'all with me? Now I've got to get out of my introduction. Watch this. I could not wait to get here today. I I sent Cedric a a voice. There's Cedric over there. He and I, we nerd out together. I sent him a voice text about this last week. I wish last Sunday, like I could preach and then Monday would be Sunday because I couldn't wait to get here. True story. Watch this. Because of Jesus, we have a new status. We were born the children of Adam, Adam's family, broken and messed up. But because of Jesus, the second Adam, come on, y'all, we're part of the new family. Still dysfunctional. Why? Because you're in it and I'm in it. Because we, we do still sin. We don't plan on it, but we're not perfect yet. Okay, We're not perfected, glorified yet. But, but we're in this together. And Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. Check this out. This is my pivot point. We're going to go into the next part of my message. Watch this. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says, Therefore, everybody say, therefore. Therefore. If anyone is in Christ, I love the prepositions Paul uses throughout his literature. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold what? The new has what? Has come. So if you're in him, if you believe in him and you turn from your sins and are turning from your sins, well, you can rest assured that the old you has passed away and the new you in Christ has come. You are a new creation in Jesus. And sometimes you do old things as a new creation in Jesus. But what happens when a child of God does old things? You repent of those old things and say, that's what I did, but that's not who I am. And there's a big difference. You have to understand your identity in Christ. That's that's what I did, but that's not who I am. I'm a slave to righteousness. I'm a slave to Jesus. And therefore I'm going to obey him and put the flesh to death to live for him and to flourish in, in, in our relationship with him. So I said all that to say this. We are new creations. But, everybody say but. But the creation itself is still 
fallen, broken, and filled with sin and destruction. Isn't that true? So we sit here and stand in here and rejoice that we're new creations, but we walk out those doors and back into our life, to our rhythms of life. You turn on the news, and aren't we surrounded by darkness? Some of you today, you're dealing with cancer, loved ones with cancer. Some of you right now, you're, you've got, there's some calamity in your life. There's uh, someone perhaps died of a car wreck, and you're mourning that. Uh, I can multiply the C's and the D's, the destruction, the death, the depression. I mean, it's all around us, isn't it? And that's the angst that we feel. On one hand, we rejoice because of our new status. On the other hand, well, we mourn because we still live, even on our best day, we still live in a fallen broken world where people act like fools right and sometimes we contribute to the foolishness but here's what I want you to see although we are redeemed sin sickness setbacks cancer car wrecks and 10,000 types of calamities are normal in this fallen world and even on our best day we know that things are not right in this world. Isn't that true? And just to be honest, I mean, like, I wake up regularly and I thank God, God, I can't believe that my life is as good as it is. And one old pastor, when I asked him, how are you doing? He said, I said, how are you doing, pastor? He said, better than I deserve. Isn't that true for all of us? I have a phenomenal marriage. I'm married to a beautiful woman who is not just beautiful physically, she has a beautiful heart. She serves God. She surrendered to God. I have four children who are phenomenal. They have their challenges. How many of y'all know need extra prayers for parenting these days? Um, and extra money for the grocery bill, praise God. Take up an extra offering. If I preach real good, maybe we'll do that today. But uh, full of challenges. Yeah, yes, full of challenges. I can, I can go through. But so filled with blessing. How many of y'all can say the same thing? There are challenges, but then you look and you're like, man, I'm blessed. How many of y'all can say, like, truly? Not the religious answer, but you say, I'm blessed. I, and I see it. Yeah. On my best day, when every one of my kids obeys the first time, and when the interest rate is exactly what I need, and it isn't right now, on my best day, when everything's working out in my life, even on that day, I know that the best is not now. The best is yet to come. And if I know that on that day, I promise you, I'm reminded of that on my worst day. And I want you to be reminded of that right now, wherever you are, no matter what you're facing, no, no matter what hell you're walking through. Thank God you're going through it. You're not going to get stuck in it. You are not going to suffer an eternal life sentence for it. You're going to make it through. And the best is yet to come. Listen to me. This side. The best is yet to come. The best. Say it with me. Is yet. Is yet to come. Joel Osteen talks about you know, your best life now. And I think I know what he means. But let me just help everybody. Your best life is not now. Your best life is yet to come. And so here we are, redeemed, we're forgiven, cleansed by the blood, empowered by the Spirit, baptized in Christ, united as brothers and sisters. Thank God for all of that. 
But we live in this world, and and I love this passage in Romans 8 where Paul articulates in some pretty heavy language the way that I think all of us feel. Listen to what he says, Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18. He says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Well, I could preach that for two hours. Verse 19, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility. You think of Genesis 3, uh, the thorns and the thistles, the, the, the pain and childbirth for women. Think Genesis 3, the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. that here, Listen to the language here. That the creation itself meaning the physical world, the universe, the creation will be what? Set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Verse 22, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation... But we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, what do we do? We groan where? Inwardly, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Do you see what Paul is saying? It's a way of speaking about the world. It's not just that we are fallen, the whole creation is fallen. And he's saying the creation groans, like not literally, you can't hear the trees and the universe groan, but it's a way of speaking, saying there's this longing in all creation for things to be made right again. And I've said this a hundred times, let me say it one more time. The aim of Christianity is not for you to die and go to heaven ultimately, though if you were to die right now, that would happen. The ultimate aim is for Not you to go to heaven, but for heaven to come to earth. God's going to make all things brand new. It's not about floating away. It's about God's kingdom coming. And he's going to make all things new. And listen, and we know it. Even if we can't articulate it. There's something in every one of you. You know that the best is not now. Even if you have a great marriage, the best is yet to come. You know now, even if who you vote for gets in office and you're happy, now America's on the right track, praise God, even still, you know that the best is not now. The best is yet to come. Paul says, the creation groans, groans like a woman in labor. Mamas, I have a lot of sympathy for y'all. You remember when you went into labor? Come on, ladies. You remember as you gave birth? You remember when your husband passed out? <laughs> you praise God for the epidural? Some of you didn't want it. Okay, well, I'll leave that up to y'all. But you know the, the pain that's involved. Listen, the baby is coming, y'all. The baby, Jesus is going to come back. It's going to be really good, but between now and then, creation groans as in the pains of childbirth. Even on our best day, we groan 
for our adoption as sons, the full redemption of our physical bodies. Y'all understand, one day, though you die, your body will be raised. You will get a resurrected, glorified, bulletproof, 6% body fat body. That <laughs> You don't have to walk, you don't have to go to the gym to work out. You're just going to be made perfect. Uh, dude, you get your hair back and everything's going to be right and tight for all of us. None of that's true. I have no idea why I even said that. But there, there will, there will, we will be glorified. Whatever that means, it's going to be not just good, but I promise very good in, 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 the final, in the final outcome of things for us. It's going to be very, very good. But this is what Paul says, that we groan as we wait for our adoption as bodies, the full, final redemption of our bodies. We, we long, we long for that. We look, we look forward to that. Don't we? Do you? If you don't, that might be the problem. You might be so stuck in politics. You might be so stuck in the here and now that you, you're so into that, you can't see past that. And that's why you are joyless. That's why you are depressed. Perhaps that's why you're anxious because you have such myopic, narrow-minded vision. All you can see is here. And listen, we have to pay attention to what's right here. We need to vote. We need to take care of, of one another. We should pray that God's glory cover America as the waters cover the sea. But listen, if you're just looking here and not beyond here to there, you're going to be an emotional roller coaster through this life. Isn't it true? So, here's what we can look forward to. When you die, you go immediately into the presence of of the Lord in heaven. And you will be with him forever. Amen? Amen. And that's phenomenal news. But it's not the whole story. Because the Bible tells us that one day Jesus is going to return to this earth. And he's going to make all things new. So, God is not going to abandon creation. He's going to make it brand new. Christianity is not about you floating away into the heavens. It's about heaven coming to the earth and a new earth being created, all things therein being made brand new. That's a whole different story, huh? Than just floating away. Y'all ready for that? So... Coming to a universe near you. The second coming of Jesus. To our worlds. We sang it earlier. Jesus ripped that sky wide open. Don't you love that language? Come, Jesus. How many of y'all wish you'd come today? I always talk about, you know, if we knew Jesus' return, if we knew we were going to be in two weeks, we'd go down to the mall and run up our charge cards. Let the devil pay them off, right? Y'all ready for the second coming of Jesus? You better, if you're not, you better get ready. But as I anticipate what's to come, I kind of feel like, I kind of feel like some of the guests, some of the people on this show, Extreme Home Makeover. Y'all remember that show? Raise your hand if you used to watch it, if you know what I'm talking about. You know the story. Uh, the crew, they, they would select a family, down and out, uh, down and out house, needs major what? renovation, restoration. And so if I remember correctly, somebody can correct me, in fact, check me on this. I think they would, they would send the family away for like a week, I think. They'd go on vacation. And while the family was away, the crew would come in. And what would the crew do? 
go through the house. And I mean, everything was replaced and repaired and restored. I mean, it was phenomenal what this big team of people could pull off in such a short period of time. And so eventually the family is summoned to come back from vacation. They're brought to their house. But the problem, at least initially, is they're brought to their house, but they can't see their house because between them and the house is a what? A bus. Y'all remember? And the big crowds out there and the family knows on the other side of that bus is a big old blessing. Their ears have heard, but their eyes are about to see. And so what do they start to chant? They with the crowd. What do they say? Move. Say it with me. Move that bus. You remember? And so they start chanting, move that bus, move that bus. And eventually the bus starts to roll away. And then there's that family. They get to see their brand new home, renovated, restored, brand new for their purposes. I mean, the landscaping's new, you know, new furniture, new this, new that. It's all new and restored. It's phenomenal. And then I watched one episode and this one lady at the bus rolled away and she sees it and she starts going crazy. And she does a Pentecostal lap down the street the other direction. They know your house is this way. Because she just can't believe what this team did to her house. Come on, y'all. That's a picture of us, isn't it? We know that the best is not now. We know that the best is yet to come. And I don't know about y'all, but on my best day, on my worst day especially, the cry of my heart is, God, move that bus and show me my brand new home. And how many of y'all know one day that bus is going to roll? Jesus is going to come back and he's going to, God is going to recreate the heavens and the earth. And one day we are going to see it and not just see it, but we're going to live in the new heaven and the new earth forever. So let me ask you, I ask it all the time. Let me ask it again. Raise your hand if you grew up Catholic. I don't know why I ask because that's everybody pretty much. Uh, But whether you're Catholic or Protestant, we learn to pray this way. Our father in heaven, how to be your, your kingdom, your will be. As it is, y'all know one day that prayer will be fully and finally realized and answered when the kingdom is established once and for all and God makes all things new. Y'all know that that's what's on the other side of the bus waiting for us. Do you understand how great and glorious that day is going to be? Probably not. But I still say, God, move that bus because if you're in it, it's not going to be just good. It's going to be very good. And it's not going to be a return to Eden. It's going to be a better version of Eden. It's going to be better than what God uh, provided for Adam and Eve in the garden. It's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And the new Jerusalem is going to be the capital city. And we're going to live together. We're going to walk together. And we're going to be there with God forever. Forever. No longer exiled, but redeemed and brought near to God to live in his presence forever. It's almost too good to be true, huh? So, let me begin to wrap up. The first two chapters of the Bible talk about the creation of the heavens and the earth. 
The last two chapters of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22, talk about the creation of a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. First two chapters, creation. Last two chapters, recreation. It's almost like the Bible was written on purpose. (laughs) Obviously it was. It started out good, very good. Tov me'od. It got bad in Genesis 3. But then you go to Revelation 21 and 22, and the Bible promises us that it's going to be very good again. Because God, not Satan, has the final word in history. Because all of history is his story. All of history is his story about how he's at work in the world to redeem us from the curse of the law and from the consequences of sin to create a people for his presence forever. That's the story of the Bible. And Jesus is the hero, isn't he? And so I could spend six months on chapter 21 and 22 of Revelation. Let me spend six minutes and say this, that John describes the new creation as a place. Get this, y'all. I want you to feel this with me. As a place of the no more. The place of the no more. Let me tell you what will not be in the new heaven and the new earth. Number one, write this down. Take a picture. Number one, no more serpent. Did you get that? No more serpent. In Revelation 22, that ancient serpent is the devil. The New Testament helps us understand who the serpent is. Listen. Listen carefully. Satan was disarmed by Jesus' death on the cross. And he will eventually be defeated once and for all and cast into hell. So the next time Satan reminds you of your past, you remind Satan of his future. You remind him of what his ultimate destination is going to be. Because Revelation 20 verse 10 says this, And the devil was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever. Now, you should not applaud anyone going to hell. But on this occasion, with Satan cast into this place, you are freed to give God praise that he will bring final judgment upon your adversary and deal with him finally and decisively forever. You can get behind that and praise God for that. So in Genesis 3, the serpent, the devil, slithers in, so to speak. But in Revelation 20, the serpent is cast out of God's creation, his new creation. Never to tempt, never to deceive, never to influence God's creation, his new creation ever again. No more serpent. Everybody say serpent. No more serpent. Number two, no more sea. No more sea. Revelation 21.1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now some people think, well, this just means, well, there's no physical sea. It's going to be a different type of order. No, no water, perhaps. No more sea. Okay, whatever. Maybe. Other interpreters say this. Follow me. In Jewish thought, the sea represented chaos. In the tumultuousness of this world, when you think of the sea, the tossing of the sea, the back and forth nature of the sea, Jesus walked on the what? On the sea, the water. He walked on it and he rebuked the winds and the waves on the 
on the water, on the sea. And sea in Jewish thought represents chaos, the tumultuousness of this world, the anxieties of this world, the things that create them. In Revelation, where the, the sea, I believe, typifies uh, evil. The beast came up out of the sea. And, and I think that John is probably saying in the new heaven and the new earth, well, the, all the evil of this world will be cast out. There will be no more chaos. There will be no more disaster. There will be no more things that, that blow us back and forth. There will be no tumultuousness. And this, this is the way that I said it. In the new heaven and new earth, there will be no more disaster. There will be no more deception. There will be no more destruction. No more devastation. No more war. No more battles, no more bloodshed. Why? Because the old is gone and the new has come. I think that's what he's saying. No more serpent, no more sea. Number three, no more separation. Revelation 21, 2 through 3, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, Say it with me, the what? The dwelling place of God is with. And he will dwell with them. Let's make it personal. And we will be his people and God himself will be with us as our God. I want you to think about that for just a minute. Because on this side... There is a, at least an emotional separation that we have between us and God. How many of y'all can say sometimes, like, you're fired up. You say, nobody's going to bring me down. And five minutes later, somebody brought you down. <laughs> you went on Facebook. You were good until you went on Facebook. Raise your hand. And there's this sense of, God, I know you're there, but I can't always feel you. I can't always see you the way I want to see you move. And there's this sense of separation that we experience. But in the new heaven and the new earth, God will dwell with us and we will walk with God so closely and we'll see His glory so clearly that there will never be a time in the future for you to come in your eternal state when you will ever, ever, ever feel separated from the presence of God and the benefits thereof. He will be the source of your light and the source of your life and the source of your peace. And it will be perdurable, never-ending, and eternal in nature. There will be no more serpent. There will be no more sea. There will be no more separation. Number four, there will be no more sadness. Listen carefully. Revelation 21.4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. For the former things have passed away. There will be no more crying. Why? Because there won't be anything to cry about. Listen, those of you who are suffering in your body, there will be no more back pain. And if you've ever had back pain and you get healed of it, boy, you use that back and you use those, those arms and those legs to praise God, don't you? But when you're crippled by it, it's hard. It's hard. I've been there, crippled because of back issues on my back. There'll be no more back pain. No more brain tumors. No more cancer. No more chemotherapy. No more drug overdoses. Thank you, God. 
Just, just with that, thank you, God. No more tragedies to face. No more divorce papers to sign. No bankruptcy to file for. Because the old will have passed away and the new will be there and with us to stay forever. Because everything that caused the back pain, everything that eventuated the divorce, everything that influenced negatively your finances, all of that, everything under that will have passed away and a new order, a new way of reality will be ushered in that will be yours forever. So let that just take your breath away for the rest of the afternoon. No more sadness. Number five, no more darkness. Revelation 21, 22, and 23. Listen, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. You remember what was created in Genesis 1 on day 4? The luminaries, the sun. In the new creation, you're not going to need the S-U-N because you'll have eternally the S-O-N. You will live in the light of the presence of the Lamb forever. So the, the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the Lamb. Boy, that's good news. We won't need a physical building to worship in because God is the temple. We won't need the S-U-N because we will forever be united to the S-O-N and to the Father and the Spirit. We will walk in the presence of God forever and the light given by the Lamb will be our lamp and we will rejoice. And just when we think we've really had a worship service, we'll sing the first song for 50 billion years, if years can be named. And then we're going to go to the next song. And then we'll sing 65 trillion years and never get bored of being in the presence of God like we do now. Because we see in part now. But on that day, in that era, in that age, we'll see God for who He is. And there'll be no blindness. There'll be no darkness. It's just sublime, white-hot worship for eternity. And people say Christianity is boring. Have you read your Bible? Have you looked at the promises of God carefully? Have you considered them through the eyes of faith? Because if you haven't, I guess it would be pretty boring. No more sadness, no more darkness. Lastly, no more death. Praise God. Because in the garden there were two special trees. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of what? Life. Y'all know the story. I'm not going to re-preach it. Just to say, Adam and Eve disobeyed God and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they forfeited their right to take hold of the tree of life and eat from that and to live forever. And so God, remember that E-word? exiled them. And so in Genesis 3, they're driven out. The cherubim has placed their angelic protection to guard the way to the garden so Adam and Eve can't re-enter. In Revelation 22, the way to the tree of life is reopened. And the Bible says, Revelation 22, 1 and 2, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city also on either side of the river. Say it with me. The tree of with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So come on Cajuns. 
it is very important what we eat and when we eat it. They couldn't eat from this tree because they forfeited their right because they ate from the wrong tree. But one day, the door, the way is going to be reopened. It's not going to be guarded any longer. And not only will they be redeemed and forgiven, but Adam and Eve, and all really represented by Jesus, the second Adam, will have direct access to that tree forever. And listen, y'all, death will be no more. No more funerals. Right? Think about that. No more funerals. No more funeral services to honor those who passed away. Why? Because the very thing that caused them to pass away will have passed away forever. God's going to take it all and throw it out of the creation. And we're going to walk forever in the presence of God. Y'all, there's no better news than that. Robert Mount says it this way. In the restored Eden, all has been reversed. Eating of one tree brought the curse. Eating of this tree, the tree of life, eternal life. It's all reversed. And it's made brand new. All creation. God is doing all that. He is at work throughout history preparing a place for you because He loves you that much. Isn't that amazing? That's a lot of work, God, from our vantage point. For you and for me. So what you have to look forward to is the place of the no more. In the place of the forever will be's in God's presence. And so here's the way God wants to see the world. Here's how God wants you to see things. As you sit here, but as you leave here, here's the way he wants you to see it. Because your worldview is not just what you see, it's the way you see the world. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 7, 29-31. Listen carefully. If I can have some keys. Paul says, The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. He says this, For the present form of this world is passing away. Now look right here. What does that mean? Paul is certainly not saying, husbands, go home, go about your business, and just, I know you got a wife, but just pretend like you don't and do what you want. Some of y'all are waiting for that. No, it's not. he's not going to contradict himself. Clearly, Paul views marriage, for those called to it, as a blessing. What he's saying is that in this world... Well, there are going to be a lot of good things that you can enjoy. And I think he's saying many of the things of this present world are important, like money and like marriage, and to a certain extent, to a certain extent, material things. Y'all know that God gave us the world to enjoy? So we're not, not, we're not Gnostics. I mean, the, the world is not in itself evil. The world has fallen because of sin and evil. And the sin in the world causes us to worship the creation instead of the creator. 
but the creation is to be enjoyed. And Paul is essentially saying the things of this present world, they are important, but they are not ultimate. Your marriage is important. Your job is important. The things of this world are important. Politics, involvement can be a good thing. Those things are important, but we got to remember, saints, none of those things are ultimate. Only God is. And when we begin to give all that we have to the creation instead of to the creator, we commit idolatry and sin against God. These things around us, they are important, but Paul is saying they're, they're not ultimate. So Paul is saying in light of what's to come, in light of all the promises ahead of us, I think Paul is saying this, hold on loosely to this world, but hold on tightly to God and to his promises. Hold these things in the world with a loose grip, but hold on to Jesus with a tight grip. Because your money is passing away. The things of this world are passing away. Your spouse, as much as you love your spouse, is one day going to pass away. The things of this world, they're passing away. So why live primarily for the things that are passing away? Why not? Isn't it smarter to live for the one who enables us to live forever in his presence? Doesn't that make sense? And some of you have lost your joy because you're living for things that are important, but not ultimately, let me say it again, ultimate. And you're just carried back and forth by this world. So myopic and narrow minded you can't see the promises to come. But listen, when we see the promises for what they are to come, don't those promises help us endure the things that are? Don't they help us walk through the valley of the shadow of death? Listen, if you're walking through hell right now, thank God you're walking through it. You're going to make it to the other side. It doesn't matter how bad it is. You've got a shepherd that's working for you. He's redeemed you. His spirit's living in you. Come on, church. The best is not now. The best is yet to come. So put your hope in him. Look to him. Say it together. The best is yet to come.